This podcast is brought to you by the Gosh Learning Academy. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Gosh Pods. I'm Emma, the Digital Learning Fellow at Gosh and your host today. All this week on Gosh Pods, we are looking at leadership stories and I will be interviewing several senior members of staff about leadership, both clinical and non-clinical, about their career journey and their experiences. The importance of leadership and management is highlighted in the GOSH People Strategy, which focuses on the development of compassionate, competent leadership within the Trust, and emphasises that every member of staff at GOSH should be given the opportunity to develop their leadership skills and encouraged to reach their full potential. Hope you enjoy listening. I'm joined today by Dr. Elaine Cloutman-Green, who is the Chief Scientist at GOSH. Have I got that right, Elaine? What is your full official title? Oh, so I have a few, but Lead Healthcare Scientist, so Trust Lead Healthcare Scientist, half of the other half of that is Stuart Adams. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Could we just start by telling me how you got to where you are today, the path that your career has taken so far? So I'm a bit of a wanderer, I think. I always kind of knew where I wanted to end up, but I didn't go via a particular straight line. So a lot of people don't even know what a healthcare scientist is. I am part of basically a workforce that represents about 5% of the NHS, but we're over 13% of the workforce at GOSH. And we're basically responsible for all of the diagnostics that go on. So all of that imaging, as well as stuff in the labs, a lot of your physiological scientists, your ECG, your lung function, all of that, as well as your biomedical engineers, they're all healthcare scientists. So a really diverse workforce that I didn't even know existed when I started training. So I was originally did an undergraduate degree in zoology and then discovered that I'm not very much an outdoors person. And so I got offered a PhD to go and study baboons in the jungle and realized that maybe the outside was not for me. So I ended up being offered an MRS in biophysics and suddenly discovered there was all this science that actually changed patient lives that I was just unaware of. And so... A job came up as a trainee clinical scientist. Again, didn't really know what one was, but it sounded like you could use science to actually change outcomes. And so it was a really natural progression to apply for that as a training post. And I arrived at GOSH 18 years ago in October and have been here ever since. So I've progressed through my clinical scientist training to my state registration, then got an NIHR doctoral fellowship in order to do a PhD so that I could move down a consultant pathway. So healthcare scientists to become consultants, we both need all of the standard medical exams in terms of fellowship with the Royal College of Pathologists, but you have to have a PhD as well. So I did my PhD here on the role of the environment and transmission of infection and joined the infection control team and then did all of my Royal College exams. And eventually when I finished that, a position came up that we had just created as our lead healthcare scientist for the trust, because we felt like there wasn't a way to represent the over 700 scientists that were in the trust. We're small teams, right? Often we're teams of four and we're scattered in other sections. And so we really wanted a way to bring people together so that we could have conversations and so that we could talk about how we could progress our workforce in a different way. And so this post came up and I share it with Stuart and we've been doing it for about five years now. 
So is lead healthcare scientist, is that a position that's quite unique to GOSH? Do other NHS trusts have a position where you're kind of overseeing all the healthcare scientists within the institution? So we were quite unique when we started. So a letter had come out in 2015 from the chief scientific officer for NHS England saying that having these positions would be a good thing to have. At that point, we just started something called the Healthcare Science Education Working Group so that we could kind of fund education because we'd seen all of this amazing work that's done by practice educators in nursing, but we didn't really have an equivalent. We didn't have a CPD fund. We didn't have anywhere that centrally people could go to. And so we'd set that up and then this letter came out and we were like, actually, that would be great because it asked for a position that reported to the exec team so that you actually heard at that level to try to increase visibility. And so we were really fortunate. Lynn Shields had just come into post. And so we sat down with her and we were talking about what we were doing. And there was a bit of health education England money left over to actually pay for this role for one day a week. Stuart and I went for and shared between us. And then the trust saw the benefit of it, took it on long term and made that position permanent. But there aren't that many trusts that have paid time for this work so quite a few of them will have a nominated person but they won't have any dedicated time or dedicated resource and that's what we're really fortunate to have at GOSH we have a lot of organizational support for making this role work and it sounds like you were also quite instrumental in setting up the role as well so when you had the idea, did you have in mind that you would then go on to apply for the role or? So, I mean, I, I kind of wrote the job description thinking that people who were much better at it and much more qualified than I would, would go for it. And it just happened that it took us about a year to 18 months to get the money. And I'd finished my PhD and I was going for a clinical lectureship with the NIHR. And this post came up and the clinical lectureship funding kind of was coming through And it seemed like a good moment to step into that space. So no, I mean, I had no intentions of going for it. And to be honest, I think if somebody else who had been, who I'd felt was much better place to go for it, had said they were going for it, then I would have probably just stepped down and not done it. But I think a lot of people at that point who were senior in the organization obviously had so much on their plates already that then stepping away and taking on something else in terms of the post for an extra half a day or a day a week was just, they found it was too much on top of everything else. And I was luckily in a position where I was about to buy back 50% of my time with a clinical lectureship and therefore knew that I had some time to develop into that space. And I had leadership training that I'd put in in my training plan as part of that clinical lectureship. And so it was just a bit of serendipity. It wasn't really, I never felt like I was senior enough, important enough or new enough to go for the role. And I think that's kind of the message that I often tell people that if you wait until you're ready, you'll probably never do it. And sometimes you just have to throw your hat into the ring and grow whilst you're in post. Yeah, I think that's a really good message, especially because in this podcast series, we're kind of focusing on leadership. So thinking about leadership, you mentioned that you had done some leadership training. What did that involve? And had leadership featured in any of your other kind of positions or roles before applying for this position as kind of head healthcare scientist? So I had done something called the Gateway to Leadership Programme 
which had been set up at GOSH. And it was a year-long program that was delivered by an external provider. And there was effectively, like, you met every month or every two months. You had different things in it. You had coaching as part of it. And I had a great manager at that time. So I was a band six and I was doing my PhD and she was like, this is appropriate for you, even though it's band seven and above. And so she persuaded the head of education at the time that actually we shouldn't be limiting people on the basis of band, but on where they could get to. And I sat the assessments and I was put on and it changed my professional world. I mean, it absolutely did. There was no way to really describe how much of a difference it made to me. It changed the way that I thought about so many things. It gave me so many tools that I use every day that just because it was over a year became really embedded. I think that's one of the problems with one-off short leadership exposures is that sometimes they don't give you enough time to really embed something in your practice. But that combination of away days and coaching in between just gave you a lot of time that was really supported to try things out, to see what worked for you, and then to go back and have conversations about why things worked and what didn't work. And so that was a really amazing experience. I've also had some really horrible leadership experiences, I have to say, not through GOSH programs, but through other things where I was made to demonstrate my leadership challenges through the medium of interpretive dance that I felt less helpful in terms of the way that I think. But that could just be the scientist in me. Oh my gosh, I won't even ask about the role of interpretive dance in leadership. Maybe that's a topic for another podcast. And so in your current role, you said you do a day a week in your management position, and then the remainder of your time is clinical. Is that right? Yes, I'm the infection control doctor for the trust. So I'm a consultant clinical scientist. So I do, well, the day we can share between Stuart and myself. So I do half a day and we, I mean, we get the best job, really. We get to do all the fun stuff. So we represent the trust externally in terms of all of those strategic meetings, talking about healthcare science direction, where our workforce needs to be, how we should be embedded in research and how we really get our workforce to be seen on these pathways where they can make such a difference. So we get to do all of those. And then in the rest of my time, I get to be a leader within my clinical area specialism in terms of infection control. So I also sit as the NCL consultant rep for infection control and AMR. I'm on the national AMR program board for, for diagnostics and I'm the NIHR clinical diagnostic lead for the CRN. So I get to do an amazing job that's kind of different every day and really means that you can stretch where we can achieve. We can be really aspirational and make sure that we're bringing that back to the trust and following through. And looking back, you said that you've had some, you know, particular successes. And is there any kind of examples you can give of things you've done that you're particularly proud of? I think setting up the framework so that we can come together as one profession in the trust is one of those things that I am so proud of. And obviously it was very much not just a me thing. None of these things ever are. But to try and get to the point where we have a voice, where we now have a healthcare scientist who is head of education, like we, those things just didn't exist to go from no education support at all to suddenly having a head of education for healthcare science has been an amazing journey. And some of the public engagement work that we've done 
I'm incredibly proud of because I think that's the legacy, you know, working with our patients to create things like drama so that they can talk about their fears in terms of infection, but also see it in an entertaining light that will really change the way that people think about some really challenging issues like antimicrobial resistance and healthcare infection and what we as individuals can do. And I think the pandemic only makes me more aware of the fact that that's going to be an important conversation to continue. And is there anything that you either don't like about the job or that you find particularly challenging? I'm not good at giving bad news, I think is the bit that I find really challenging. There are some people that actually are very comfortable in a space of conflict and I'm never going to be one of those people. And sometimes I think that I probably don't face issues early enough in terms of having a conversation is easier when it hasn't been left for three months and a situation hasn't developed. And because I I'm slightly an optimist. I'm always like, yeah, yeah, we'll work it out. It'll be fine. And there are some things that actually just require you to acknowledge that you should just tackle right now and get out of the way. And I think that's something that I learn every day that I'm trying to get better at because sometimes having the hard conversation is best for everybody involved because it means that we can all have that learning. We can all have that growth moment and we can hopefully find a resolution rather than letting things just kind of drag on and float on as they would have otherwise. Sure. Yeah, I can see that being a being a challenge. Thinking now about, you know, you, you have your clinical role and then your more kind of managerial leadership role. Do they feel one and the same to you? Is it all part of the same job or do you tend to compartmentalise the two roles? I think because of the types of roles they are, you can't say, this is my half a day where I'm going to do this. I think a lot of this runs concurrently because as she, as a consultant healthcare scientist, then I'm representing my profession kind of even in my clinical job. I, I don't compartmentalize too much. I think the clinical job will always be the thing because it's infection control that requires response immediately. And there will always be things that are coming up and sometimes that means that you have to find a way to make a deliberate space for some of the other piece of kind of larger administrative bits because they tend to be documents that will take you two to three hours to go through and so you have to actively find space to make that work but for the most part I kind of think about leadership as being about people and so I don't think you turn people on and off and so I don't think you can turn your leadership hats on and off. I think you have to find a way to balance them within yourself and within the practice of what you're doing every day. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Just in my experience, sometimes clinical staff can be reluctant to take on a role that they see as being kind of leadership, management. Do you do you think that this this is my experience? Do you think that is the case? And if so, how do we overcome this? I think it is. It's really interesting that I'm like, there are all these amazing opportunities and people just don't step up to them. But sometimes I think that they're in the same situation I was in in 2016, where I just didn't feel like I was the person for that, that the person that I thought people wanted was someone who was much smarter, much more knowledgeable, much more able than I could ever be. And so I think one of the things is I have conversations with people all the time about saying yes and knowing that all of these positions are growth and development 
opportunities. No one expects you to suddenly step into the role and be fully formed and be wonderful. I've been doing it for five years and I, to be honest, screw up and learn all the time. You know, we get better by doing. And so sometimes when you see these JDs and these application forms for these posts, I don't think we really have those conversations with people. You're looking at a piece of paper that tells you where you probably want to be in five to 10 years time, not where you are now. And so if we're really going to support people stepping into this space, then we need to have better conversations about what our expectations are on day one, which is really what's in the JD. Yeah, definitely. I think that's true. Moving on now to think more about qualities, personal qualities and attributes that you have. What attributes do you have that you think make you a good leader or particularly suited to your role? I tell people all the time that I'm never the smartest person in the room. I'm never the most knowledgeable person in the room. I'm just the person who continues to show up in the room. I think the biggest attribute I have is that I will turn up day after day Time after time, I'm just a bit stubborn and mulish about being in the space and believing that what I do matters. So that there is someone in that room who goes, oh, did you think about healthcare scientists at every conversation? I'm sure it drives everybody else to distraction. But <laughs> so that people remember us. And I think that's probably the only thing about me and the belief that and knowledge that I am in the room, not for myself. I am not in the room for me. I'm in the room for us. And so constantly trying to remember that it isn't about the best outcome for me as an individual. It's the best outcome for us as a workforce. And sometimes those two things are not the same. And you have to have that integrity when you're in the space to be thinking about us, not be thinking about I. Why is good leadership and management so important at GOSH? Frankly, I think without good leadership, you're lost. I think it sets culture, it embeds practice, it shares values. And if you don't have it, then I think people will lose their way and they won't feel supported and they won't want to stay at the organization. And gosh, can be an amazing place to work, but we have to have people that actually believe that who are visible who are sharing it, who embed the qualities that we want within this trust of openness and integrity and fairness at every single point so that the people that are following can see it. And when they're having a hard time, they can also believe it because sometimes that's what you need to get through the day is to know that your organization is there for you and represents you and actually supports you. And I think if you lose that, then we lose the people. We lose everybody. And that's not to say that, you know, I am amazing at any of those things. You know, I am a, a leader in one specific context, but I think as a collective group of people leading in this trust, that's what we need to be aiming for and aspiring for. Absolutely. You've talked a bit about your experiences, perhaps when more, you were more junior, kind of being encouraged firstly to do the gateway to leadership program and then potentially encouraged to actually apply for the position that you yourself were instigating are you doing anything now to encourage or support potential leaders of the future i do feel like that's a fundamental part of my post and some of it is very formal in terms of mentorship 
having kind of things like a learner's network, supporting individuals in terms of CPD, having a very open door policy so that people can come and talk and go, actually, I think I'm going for this job. What do you think? Can you help me prep for it? Some of it is informal just by having conversations with people about the fact that they don't ever need to limit their aspirations and being really open. So I blog and I blog about the fact that I don't have all the answers. I'm really open about the fact that I am not perfect and that I'm learning all the time. And I hope by having those conversations, other people won't think that leaders have it all set and so that they can then open themselves up to the opportunities themselves. I mean, the other thing that we're really trying to do in terms of the wider healthcare science workforce is have a development plan so that people can see what the next steps are available to them. So it used to be for healthcare scientists that effectively you went up into management and that was it. And now there are so many other options. You can go into leadership. We have some great healthcare science leaders, one of whom is like a deputy general manager. So they're not necessarily working in scientist-specific roles, but they're still using all of those skills and knowledge. We obviously have Ant, who's taken the head of education job for healthcare science. There's so many more routes open to people now. But I think sometimes, because that's quite a recent thing, it can be a bit intimidating. You don't quite know what the qualifications are. It's not really a path that's been trodden before you. And so you're kind of making it work as you go. And sometimes I think it, it just helps if we can signpost that better so that people know what's needed before they step onto that path. One of my final questions, and I think actually you've answered this question a little bit throughout this interview, but maybe if we could just kind of summarise, would it be what advice would you give to listeners of this podcast who might be thinking of becoming more involved in leadership and management in their area and stepping up into that role? I wouldn't get in your own way. I think so many of us get in our own way and go, well, I'm not quite ready yet. It's not quite the right time yet. I don't know enough. Sometimes we just have to get out of our own ways and know that if you don't approach, if you don't give it a go, you'll never know. Like I had no idea how attending that gateway to leadership course would change my professional career. Like I've got a New Year's honour. I've got like 20 million pounds worth of grant funding i've got all of these things that would never have happened if someone hadn't had faith in me to say you're band six but you should go for this it doesn't matter that you're not a band seven and if i can do one thing in terms of legacy in my career if i can do that for one other person then i will be happier than i can actually put into words and so we just need to support each other and have a little faith in ourselves Finally, do you have any role models or anyone that's particularly inspired you throughout your career? So I have a clinical boss who has just retired called Dr. John Hartley, and he is a medic by background. He was an infection control doctor for basically my entire career here. And he always had faith in me when I couldn't have faith in me. When I had doubts, he would just be like, just get on and do it. And he has been a constant source of inspiration because he 
is clinically like one of the most amazing people I've ever met. Like the amount of knowledge that man has, I will never live up to. And I'm painfully aware of that now. I'm infection control doctor myself, um, that I will never be a Dr. Hartley. I will be something else, but I will never be a Dr. Hartley. But he, he never let professional boundaries get in the way. And I think that is an amazing thing to see. He looked at people and saw them for the individual they were not the label that was put on them, not the qualification background they came from, not the grade that they were, but for who they were and what they could achieve. And I think that's an amazing talent that I would love to emulate. Thank you so much for joining me today, Elaine. It's been really fascinating speaking to you and about your experiences setting up kind of your role and your vision for how you wanted healthcare scientists to be to be led within the trust. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real privilege. Thank you for listening to this episode of Gosh Pod's Leadership Stories. We hope it has inspired you to think about developing your leadership skills to reach your full potential. Great Ormond Street offers several in-person courses as well as e-learning programmes aimed at aspiring, developing and established leaders with accreditation from the Faculty of Medical Leadership and Management. To find out more, log in to Gosh Gold at lms.goshgold.org and search for leadership. We would love to get your feedback about the episode, as well as get your ideas for topics for future podcast series. You can find a link to our feedback page in the description for the episode or email us at digital.learning at gosh.nhs.uk. If you want to hear more about the work of the Gosh Learning Academy, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn or visit our website at www.gosh.nhs.uk and search Learning Academy. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll see you next time. Goodbye.